This podcast is brought to you by Whites Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. We didn't go over, but I handed out a sheet. <coughs> Some guys that did a little work on Romans 16. Uh, does anybody want one of these that didn't get it? Let's see how many I got. We announced at the early service that uh, uh, our building is now completely paid off. Amen to that. And what a great th- blessing that is. So. I guess we can stop giving it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the preacher ain't paid off. Yeah, right. I can take a submission. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Tommy, Tommy, lead us in a word of prayer. We Dear God and Father, we're so grateful that you allow us to be your children. And we're thankful for the times we're able to, to come together and study your word and try to understand you, try to pursue the things you'll have us to learn and to be. I pray your blessings on Mike this morning. What a great study we've had in this class. And Father, I just pray that our hearts are always geared to you first and foremost, and then to each other as we grow together as your children and as your family. Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 We want to uh, start in Romans chapter 16 today. Look just a little bit at this. Then we're going to go back uh, to Ephesians, the husband-wife passage there, and the First Peter passage. And then uh, Trent's going to also share with us some things this morning too. So uh, that's our goal. <coughs> we handed out this sheet in Romans 16. And all this does basically is just kind of lay out individuals that are mentioned you know we run through these chapters when we get the people's names you know that are being called out we just kind of skip those you know usually don't pay a lot of attention to them but the last uh, chapter of the book of Romans it's a it's a personal greetings and in it are men and women uh, some married some not who did a variety of things and so this is a little bit of a a snapshot of, of the different people mentioned in Romans 16 Particularly, we put it on the chart there where you see the women that were mentioned and what they uh, did. Now, uh, several are mentioned, but the two that kind of get all the attention uh, are the uh, uh, the first one, uh, Phoebe, and then uh, Junia. They get they get the attention the most, and so I want to deal with Phoebe just a little bit because it tends to get more attention. Uh, I commend to you our sister. Uh, Phoebe and a servant of the church in Sincrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been a great help to many people uh, including me now in uh, 
in the New, Restart, New uh, Revised Standard Version. It says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. In fact, this is the first place that uh, I believe that the phrase deacon of the church is used in the, in the, in the New Testament. Uh, and so because he, because he used the word deacon, because NIV says servant, same word, uh, but when, but the phrase deacon of the church, this is, I mean, it uses the word deacon a lot of times, but not like this. <clears throat> so when he says this, this always gets everybody's attention because of our typical view of church organization having elders, deacons, those type of things. And so that, that you know, always bears the question, then can a woman be a deacon in the church? Because we kind of made that a particular office type thing. And uh, uh, so that's kind of why this particular passage gets a lot of attention. But uh, uh, now some versions will say uh, leader in the contemporary English version it says I have good things to say about Phoebe who is a leader in the church of Sincrea. Welcome her in a way that is uh, proper for someone who has faith in the Lord and is one of God's own people. Help her in any way you can. After all she's proved to be a respected leader for many others including me. Some versions even use down later on where it says leader in the bottom, they use the word patron, uh, uh, which prostatus is out of the Greek word, and it basically is the idea of someone who manages uh, particularly financial stuff to help somebody else. And so this is maybe to be tied to, to her success and her supporting financially uh, Paul and others in the, in the ministry, uh, which I think is what it, basically what he's talking about there. But, uh, but two words that are typically not used... Uh, uh, for a woman's role, they are our deacon of the church and patron. Now, this uh, <clears throat> the same word uh, is used in other places. Now, the word deaconess shows up sometimes in some versions, but look, that's a, that's those are later versions. The word deaconess is actually not a word in the New Testament. Uh, that became a word later. Uh, it wasn't in the original <laughs> Greek. So that's why I use it because someone says, well, Mike, isn't the word deacon a, a masculine deal in the Greek language? Well, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do whether it applies to a man or a woman because the word's masculine. That's, uh, uh, it's just the word for deacon or the word for servant. This, the word servant happens to be a masculine word in the, in the New Testament Greek. But uh, um, So if you see deaconess, that's somebody who tries <laughs> to basically feminize the, the word deacon uh, to apply to women. But he simply says here in the text that she's a deacon of the church. Uh, now, uh, <coughs> so what does that mean? I don't know that it means anything other than she was obviously acknowledged by Paul as a servant of this particular place in Sincrea as someone who did, did a lot of stuff there. I don't think it has anything to do one way or another uh, saying what a woman uh, does or doesn't do in our assemblies as we've talked about or uh, those kinds of things uh, it's just it's just the word that's it's just the word that's used in the text she's called a deacon of the church someone says my can a woman be a deacon well yeah New Testament yeah there's a woman who's a deacon now is that what is that the same thing you mean in your mind when you talk about what a, a 20th century church is and how they organize? Probably not, you know. That's not. I don't think it's the same context that you've got going on. But if, if you're just looking at the Bible and saying, "Is a woman ever called a deacon of the church?" The answer is what? Yes. Yes, she is. Okay. Yes, she is. And so, uh, 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 whether 
Because then what's going to come into question then later on where he gives uh, qualities or characteristics of deacons, he also gives characteristics of women right after that, and so then becomes the question, are those women the wives of deacons or are those actually deacons too? Uh, either way, guys, just keep in mind, it's just, it's just serving. Whether we recognize them, and we have servants and, and, and women and men in doing areas of service in our church, and we recognize them, and we say they serve this or they lead this ministry. Uh, 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 Royce and Carol uh, lead our grief share ministry. Well, could you call them a deacon of that ministry? Sure, you could. I mean, that's they're servants in that area of ministry of our church family. So, I think sometimes you know. When we try to formalize it too much, we run into problems uh, uh, with our own culture and our own selves and our own background. Yeah, Chad, you had something to say? Yeah, I got an NIV and it's got servant and then it has the letter A beside it down at the bottom and says deaconess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And the NIV said the Bible. And, uh, and that's an effort to describe her as a woman deacon. But the bottom line is that word didn't come into use till after New Testament times. But it doesn't mean it didn't get used. It just wasn't used in the Bible. But it's a woman deacon. Okay. So the other one that gets attention uh, also out of this is the word of uh, Junia, which is a woman. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, who is called uh, in verse 7 who is called outstanding among the apostles (coughs) so there's Andronicus and and, and Junia my relatives who have been in prison with me they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was (coughs) now the outstanding among the apostles gets a lot of, of recognition because there's a couple of different ways you can translate this one Outstanding among them in terms of the apostles knew them. You have that kind of idea. Or they're outstanding among the apostles because they were apostles. Now, uh, it's not that they were apostles in the sense of the twelve. The word apostle is not just designated to those that Jesus discipled and and became the apostles that saw his resurrection that were with him that he sent out. Okay, There's more apostles than that. And, uh, in Philippians 2 the word apostles used in 1 Thessalonians the word apostles used and it's talking about simply those that are picked and sent out so it could be a missionary team I mean we could refer to our missionaries that we sent out if we wanted, if we were speaking Greek and lived in that time we'd probably use the word apostle uh, that we're, we're sending them out on a mission okay so uh, there are those that are called and sent out in, in a very special way as Jesus did but then there are those that are sent out as missionary teams uh, but this husband and wife team uh, uh, is uh, as a team that's that said that they were known among the apostles I, you know I don't know that it, it makes a huge difference to me one way or another they're just sent out to do something <coughs> yes ma'am how does the word apostle fit in today's Teaching mostly of TV preachers who call themselves apostles. Yeah, there are. She mentioned that there are uh, uh, a lot of times people use the word apostles 
to refer to themselves, some of these TV preachers and stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've just picked up the word as an office. Basically, it's used in the, as kind of some kind of a church office in their particular religious group. That's how they use the word. But in terms of just the Bible, you have the apostles that were sent out by Jesus that had apostolic authority from Christ and they were ahead of the church. Remember, that, remember even when the church began, they, they sold their goods because people were poor and needed stuff and they laid it where? At the feet of the apostles. And so there, there, they, there was a particular group of guys sent out who also had a, authority and leadership responsibility within the body of Christ. Of course, we also know that from Ephesians 4. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Okay, so you have those. But at the same time, as you have those that have responsibility, that's not the only way the word was ever used. So just, uh, just don't read too much into it uh, uh, other than they were, I, I wouldn't make a big argument. They're not the apostles in terms of the 12, but were they sent out for a purpose? Yeah, yeah they were sent out. And so they did have a role, and and, uh, and he acknowledges that role. But anyway, there are several uh, women mentioned in that. And so in your chart there, if you want to <coughs> look that up more sometime, I think that would be uh, uh, be a good thing to do. Now, one of the uh, things I wanted to uh, look at a little bit more before... We get Trent up here sharing. A lot is made sometimes about uh, culture and church history and looking at what was practiced back, not just in New Testament times, because sometimes you don't have a lot of information about how they did things. They were told to go do something, <coughs> but how they did it, well, you don't necessarily have a lot of info. So a lot of times we look to church history, and sometimes that builds credibility. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, church history is just what it is. It's just history. It has good and bad about it. Okay? Uh, and unless it's, unless it's uh, demonstrating how the New Testament church did in terms of getting the gospel out and stuff, it, it, I wouldn't lay a lot of super weight on it. Travis, you had something? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm me too, bro. Um, Here's some history of what some folks said that sometimes they say good stuff and we put, you know, we go to history sometimes to prove the point that we've already made up our mind about, you know. Sometimes these same people prove some things we don't want to back, right? Mm -hmm. So here's Plato. It is only males who are created directly by the gods and given souls. Those who live rightly return to the stars, but those who are cowards... Or, <coughs> or lead unrighteous lives may with reason be supposed to have changed into the nature of women in the second generation. <laughs> this downward progress... I, Plato, not me. <laughs> this is one area I'm smarter than Plato. <laughs> this downward progress may continue through successive reincarnations unless reversed. In this situation, obviously... It is only men who are complete human beings and can hope for ultimate fulfillment. The best a woman can hope for is to become a man. <laughs> I want a copy. Please do not throw it. 
<laughs> you notice we removed all loose objects out of the room. <laughs> Aristotle. Because, by the way, there's a reason to because I'm, I'm far looking at everything. But Ben, when your argument is heavy on church history or, or things that happened in that area, Aristotle, again, the male is by nature superior and the female inferior. And the one rules and the other is ruled. The principle of necessity extends to all mankind. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitted for command than the female, just as the elder and full-grown is superior to the younger and more immature. Early then, moral virtues belong to all of them, but the temperance of a man and of a woman, or of the courage and justice of a man and of a woman are not. As Socrates maintained the same, the courage of a man is shown in commanding, the courage of a woman in obeying. Now, in, the, in Hinduism, I can't say his name. Sosidus expressed his contempt for women when he wrote that if women become independent, this would lead to evil. No amens there, men. Therefore, he prescribed that the drum, the village fool, the lower class, animals, and women, all these are fit to be beaten. Some of the Jewish history. No wickedness comes anywhere near the wickedness of a woman. Sin began with a woman, and thanks to her, we all must die. <laughs> she about spit her coffee out right there. Philo <laughs> <laughs> of Alexandria. There is in the soul a male and female element just as there is in families, the male corresponding to the men, the female to the women, the male soul assigns itself to God alone as the father and maker of the universe and the cause of all things. The female clings to all that is born and perishes. It stretches out its faculties like a hand to catch blindly at what comes in its way and gives the glass of friendship to the world of created things with all its numberless changes and transmutations instead of to the divine, the immutable, the immutable and the blessed. Josephus. A woman is inferior to her husband in all things. Let her therefore be obedient to him, not so that he should abuse her, but that she may acknowledge her duty to her husband, for God has given the authority to the husband. Josephus continues in the iniquities of the, uh, antiquities of the Jews. But let not a single witness be credited, but three or two at least. And those such whose testimony is confirmed by good lives. But let not the testimony of a woman be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Basically, women couldn't go into court and give testimony for anything. Here's, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It's from the Talmud. to second century rabbi. Here's from medieval Cairo synagogue. Here's the text. Blessed is God who has created me a human and not beast, a man, 
and not a woman, an Israelite, not a Gentile, circumcised and not uncircumcised, free and not slave. Here's Origen. He wrote some things called Fragments on 1 Corinthians. It's improper for a woman to speak in an assembly, no matter what she says, even if she says admirable things or even saintly things, that is of little consequence since they come from the mouth of a woman. Now, we've never said it like that, but we've practiced that right there. I'm telling you, we have. Thomas Aquinas. It was necessary for women to be made, as the scripture says, as a helper to man, not indeed as a helpmate in other works, as some say, since man can be more efficiently helped by another man in other works, but as a helper in the work of generation. Friar Cherubino, early 1400s, Rules of Marriage. When you see your wife come in an offense, don't rush at her with insults and violent blows. Scold her sharply. Bully and terrify her. <laughs> <laughs> and if this still doesn't work, Trent, you can add this to your marriage retreat. Right. I'm making notes right now. <laughs> if this still doesn't work, take up a stick and beat her soundly. <laughs> For it is better to punish the body and correct the soul than to damage the soul and spare the body. Then readily beat her, not in rage, but out of charity and concern for her soul so that the beating will redound to your merit and her good. Unless we get too far from history, Martin Luther in a thing called table talk. Men have broad shoulders and narrow hips and accordingly they possess intelligence. Women have narrow shoulders and broad hips. Women ought to stay at home. The way they were created indicates this, for they have broad hips and a wide fundament to sit on. You're kidding me. I don't know how Martin Luther got to be so popular. Of course, if uh, we read the Quran and Islam actions. We get even get even worse and more violent responses. <laughs> Tortillion. God sentence hangs still over all your sex and his punishment weighs down upon you. You are the devil's gateway. You are she who first violated the forbidden tree and broke the law of God. It was you who coaxed the way around him whom the devil had not the force to attack. With what ease you shattered the image of God. Because of the death you merited, the Son of God had to die. I thought he died because of all of our sins. Not just, not just one of Anyway, there's there's more, but I don't I don't have a hard time reading it all. Um, let's go to the book of Ephesians for just a moment. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. <coughs> That's really where I was starting, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her through the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one's uh, ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for her just as Christ does the church. Well, we're all members of his body. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. If you want a relationship example of, of head and leading and serving, then you look to Christ. That's where the whole idea of how we function in a marriage comes from. How Christ functions with us. So that's where you go. And look, there's different roles in this. There's not different value. There's not different equality. There is different roles. Now, First Peter chapter 3. <coughs> Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word... They may be won over, what? Without words. <clears throat> by the behavior of their wives. It's going to be their conduct is going to be the most powerful thing to influencing your mate women. It's going to be the conduct that you have. When they, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your life, <coughs> your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of the inner self, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, Trent. <laughs> Somebody report that to you. <laughs> you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Interesting phrase there, by the way. But your relationship in your marriage can affect your prayer life. It's a pretty powerful thing. So basically, as we've come full circle, in creation, God made us different. There is a difference in how men and women are made, how men and women function, and even the roles of which we're called to. 
the world uh, took those differences to extremes over centuries and made men have men lording over women and treating them like property and abuse and all those kinds of things and yet at the same time doing so with religious language uh, I thought I thought about that last night Susan and I watched on uh, on TV we watched the movie 12 Years a Slave and I thought how many times you're seeing guys lording over in slavery and yet quoting the Bible and and giving giving themselves in their mind credibility as to how they could do that to another human being and I, I have to pull myself out of my own culture and ask myself did we do that to women at the same time quoting Bible saying it's okay how we've done it and I think it's a fair question to ask so back to creation God made us different because we also live in a culture now that says there are no differences Right. Even as far as men becoming women, what is this deal with Bruce Jenner? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just thinking if I ever made it to that kind of elite athletic accomplishment, I'd, I'd want to stay a strong athletic man as long as possible, right, Trent? Yeah, amen. I, I mean, you know, I mean, but I'll, I mean, look at this kind of crazy thing that's happened. So, our culture, why do we do have to guard against this idea that somehow or another that there are no differences? We are made different. We are different. And God made us that way, and it works together great when following God's principles. But only when following following them from a biblical context viewpoint. Otherwise, we'll take those and misuse Scripture to misuse people. And that's always a bad deal. So I asked Trent, I wanted Trent to share, because I know he's done some research and even shared a little bit yesterday at the <coughs> ladies' conference. You don't have to do any moves up here, Trent. We saw I those. got some moves. Save those, brother. Save those. I saw those. Uh, but, uh, but Trent was uh, had some good stuff to share. I wanted him to share a little bit. You know, his, Dr. Langhofer's expertise yeah, is in marriage oh, and family yeah. therapy. And so I uh, wanted him to share a little bit about the differences in how we function in relationship with men and women. Uh, just a little bit. Trent? Yeah, yeah. Usually I get a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, thank you for that, man. You're the only one. Who... I, I did want to mention something, though, real quick. Uh, in, in terms of leadership, uh, if, if this is like the continuum of leadership for, for men and women here, Okay, at this end is, is what we would call the autocratic dictator. These are guys like Hitler, Stalin, Ceausescu. Okay? And uh, then, then down here is the impotent influencer. <coughs> And this is how most of the mainstream media portrays male leadership. So this would be like The Simpsons, uh, Family Guy, Everybody Loves Raymond, 
Uh, which everybody loves Ram is not, you know, that bad of a show. But I'm just saying, if you look at the mainstream media's portrayal of male leadership, it's usually men are silly, they're not to be heard, they don't have the answers. When they give a suggestion, it's usually funny. Most of the time they're drinking beer, watching TV, sitting on the couch, eating potato chips. And so this would be the other end of the continuum. Right here in the middle is Jesus' servant leadership. <coughs> Model of leadership who leads based on my personhood. Uh, and I'm not is laughed at or not is destroying you if you don't follow my leadership. Because of my character, because of my integrity, because of who I am, how hard I work, how much I love Jesus, or if we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, how obedient I am to God's leading in my life, that's why people are following me. And so sometimes people will ask me, you know, men, so, you know, if you had to assign a percentage, who's the leader to what percentage? I'm, I usually say for the purposes of decision-making, for the purposes of decision-making, it's a 51-49 partnership. It's a 51-49 partnership. So somebody ultimately at the point of making a decision has to be able to say, look, here's what I feel God is leading us to do after getting all your input and praying. And, uh, so, you know, what Mike is saying um, in 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5, you know, Ephesians 5.21, which is where we, we just were, he, he skimmed over that, that first verse. He's trying to get to the end there. But Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of, out of reverence for Christ. So, so there, there's a mutual submission. Not for the benefit of my wife or her for the benefit of me. Why are we doing that based on Ephesians 5.21? It's, it's, it's an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if ladies approach submission as a deal I'm doing to my husband, it, it, sometimes I'll draw this up for couples. And I'm taking a, a detour here, Mike, but I'll get back on track. In, in a <coughs> okay, her responsibility in relationships is submission. His is the personhood servant leadership model of Christ. As he leads her and she submits to him, there's this mutually beneficial, self-perpetuating pattern at work that leads us closer and closer together. Every revolution of that cycle, okay? But what, what, what happens if he drops the ball and the reason she submits is because he's a servant leader? If she's doing it based on his behavior, she ceases and desists submitting if she's doing it based on his behavior. Or if he's leading through the servant leadership model of Jesus Christ based on her submission and she has a bad day, he stops leading and now we're doing the opposite. Well, he's disengaged. He's not serving. Uh, he's not servant leading me. So I'm just going to not pay attention. I'm going to not be respectful. I'm going to be unappreciative. Every revolution of the, of the opposite of this leads us to deeper and deeper distance and isolation. So, so her submission, there's a, there's a secondary cycle right here, is out of reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ who empowers her emotionally and spiritually with the energy required to continually exist in a submissive state. Because the blessings come not from the relationship, but from where? The Father. That's right. 
He leads. There's a second. There's a second cycle right here. He is a servant leader out of not obedience to his wife or, or reverence for her, although those are parts, but it's out of reverence, obedience, and worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he's doing that, it's Jesus Christ who empowers him spiritually and emotionally to continually exist in a state of servant leadership. And so he can be on fire for God, uh, totally fulfilled emotionally and spiritually supercharged, even if she's struggling and having difficulty with submission. And the best way, men are always asking me, what's the best way to get her to follow my leadership? Learn how to find fulfillment in Jesus Christ and do your servant leadership out of obedience and reverence to him. And then you'll be emotionally and spiritually supercharged enough to keep being a servant leader regardless of what she's doing. That's black belt level marital intimacy stuff. How to separate my behavior from the stimulus of the other person's behavior. Because that is the stimulus that we are most reactive to is the behavior of another person. We don't pay, we, we're not reactive emotionally to a turn signal in front of us. But the other person drives by and gives us some obscene gesture. Now we're all of a sudden reactive because of their behavior. Does that make sense? Not what their machine they're operating is doing. To the degree you raise the level of emotional investment in a relationship you raise the potential for their, them to be a stimulus to me emotionally. In other words, the person driving by, they give me an obscene gesture. There's no implied significance to the emotional connection I feel with that person. They're just another driver on the roadway. But if it's my bride who <laughs> drives past and rah, 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 or I walk in the doors after me, the, state, the potential for her behavior to influence me is greatly raised because of the degree to which I'm invested in that relationship emotionally. That's why this is so hard. And so as men, it's easy for us, I, I think, in the church to want to exist right here and say, she, it, she, I demand this of her because it's easier for me to do this when this is demanded of her. And it gives me an out. If she's not doing this, then I don't have to do this if it's demanded. Rather than perfect balance of servant leadership. I influence, but I'm not an autocratic dictator. I'm, I'm being followed because of my integrity, character, and commitment to being obedient to Jesus Christ. So that is, that. this is one of the most important things uh, that Kirsten and I are, are trying to do um, in our relationship. Not for, and, and even saying that, it almost gives you the idea that we're doing it for the sake of our relationship. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because of our spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, there, there, I think I could make a case that marriage uh, is the place that God uses to build us into the image of Jesus Christ more than any other place. Where else are you getting, uh, 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 I was going to say stimulated in such a way that you're emotionally reactive, but the word... Stimulated in the context of marriage has a double entendre. That's, uh, yeah, you guys get get my drift. All right, so. Come on, bro. Okay, so there's a couple of things. You know, at the at the heart at the heart uh, at the heartfelt conference, I did. I was blessed with the absolute honor to get to talk to. Uh, that crowd, and it was a great crowd, 
And I wanted to try and encourage women uh, because lots of men are immersed in this culture and they really don't have a good sense of how to uh, handle problems or to be a servant leader. And we see these movies like Braveheart and Gladiator uh, where men are these kind of violent sort of warriors and, and we like that. And so that's almost the approach we try and use is just sort of this aggressive, rough, um, and it comes off wrong, and I, and, and I have a heart, you know, for, for trying to help guys do that, and we do at our church. But I wanted to give women some insight into the minds of and, 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 and emotions of men, and I'm going to do that for just two minutes before we wrap here, so that women don't take personally the misattempts at men trying to engage them as a leader. Does that make sense? So one study in 2002, researchers, and one well-documented reality in early uh, education, in elementary education, is that girls perform better than boys. Girls perform better than boys. And so researchers were interested in uh, uh, early elementary education students' perceptions of self as it relates to the differences in gender. So they were interested in what girls' perceptions of self were and what boys' perceptions of self were in terms of their academic performance to try and figure out if that had any sort of influence on why girls performed better than boys. In 2002, they released the findings of their study, and they found that concerning academic performance, girls tended to be overly self-critical, and boys tended to over-exaggerate their ability. <laughs> And so I'm telling the conference, you know, that ladies, doesn't this make sense? Uh, don't the men in your life know how to fix anything? Tee hee, tee hee. Uh, uh, now, the, the truth is, I think God designed men such that in them exists that ability. But I think men don't know how to tap into that. And that's then what some of the insecurity and ill-fated attempts at connection are about. I, I, I'm especially certain that men can fix just about anything given the right YouTube tutorial and enough help from other men. <laughs> so boys tend to over-exaggerate their own abilities. So if you, ma'am, are talking to your husband in the context of your marriage about your husband and his meeting your emotional needs, let's say, based on how kids responded to this, what are men going to tend to think in terms of how well they are meeting your emotional needs? They think they're doing okay. They think they're doing okay. And this is something, I think this is designed into men. To, go, to be able to go into battle or rush onto the field and assume, I'm going to be better than the other guy. If you go into battle thinking, this guy's got me beaten, the outcome is less favorable. You can ask anybody who's a sports psychologist that talks to you about mindset. And I, I could go into another study here, but I'm not going to. Um, I think it's designed into men, but I think in the, in, the, in the context of a relationship, sometimes that's a disadvantage because they really do tend to over-exaggerate their performance. The reason why it's interesting that this study happened with elementary-age kids is because at that age, they wouldn't have much of a social reason to overestimate or underestimate their performance. They'd be pretty objective. I really do think I'm doing better than I'm doing. Okay, so that's a piece is the men in your life, ladies, are just going to tend to kind of over-exaggerate ability, their ability. Don't take that personally is the main thing. That's how God designed them in the right context. That's exactly what you want them thinking of themselves. You just have to kind of creatively 
come up with behaviors that loop them into more of what you need to do. I could teach a whole class. The second publication to reference before we get out of here is in terms of male and female hormone differences. In 2014, there was a publication that, that said in this study, male hormones tended to influence withdrawal and female hormones tended to influence interaction. I cracked a joke at the um, conference. I said, so ladies, when your man withdraws, it's not because he wants to withdraw from you. It's just because he's being hormonal. Okay? <laughs> <coughs> but here's the, here's, the, here's the idea. Men tend to be it, it, hormonally designed to be internal processors. They want to think things through. Women, based on their hormone structure, tend to be external processors talking things through. These are great counterbalances in marriage, but they're also great counterbalances in the church. And so this is why us working together toward the common goal of getting the gospel out there and bringing people into the obedience of the gospel and us then discipling each other along to become and conform to the image of Jesus is what it takes. I, I'm, I'm using these things as illustrations for relationships, but I think a lot of this stuff directly applies to this would be a really good model I think if you defined all these words the way I did for how we operate in in fellowship here together in church so as I'm talking you got any anything that that's triggering Mike <coughs> yeah I, I think that kind of as we're wrapping up this <coughs> we're wrapping up our study today uh, so and this will be our last class for this but I, I think I think the main thing I want you to take from it, one, in terms of doctrinal things, about we, I, we don't have all the answers. We're studying. Uh, and all of us should be. That's a good thing. Okay? Uh, even because we're made different, even how we study is different. And how we learn is different. And so... Uh, when something threatens a relationship in a woman, it may not threaten that in a man. Even in church activities, it's different. When God describes how that family works from the beginning, and then he talks about us being a family of God and how we behave with one another, you can't help but see the same principles working. You have submission, you have leadership, you have accomplishment, you have harmony, you have uh, love, you have struggle, you have all the things that you have in a marriage, you have in a church and it's relationship to leadership. Church leadership, of course, more importantly, even leadership with Christ is the head of the church, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, what is good principle in terms of understanding and loving and communicating and forgiving, all those things that make marriages successful make church uh, unity successful mm -hmm. and vice versa. So when he talks in verses like in Ephesians to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, you know that's great church one another language, but that's great marriage one another yeah. language. Look, God was the creator of the first, not only the creator, God is the first small group. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then how he created us to react with each other in husband-wife relationships. And then... How even all the one another verses of the Bible, if you practiced all those verses within your marriage, all of a sudden that marriage explodes into being something much better. But when those get practiced in a church, church harmony is held in where it needs to be too. 
And so as we grow and struggle with something about what, whether it's studying the woman's role and how, what are we going to do or not do in assemblies, those kinds of things, we, we wrestle with those verses. Don't forget, every one another verse in the Bible applies to how we respond to each other. So whatever destroys your marriage will destroy your church. So the greater lesson here, learn to depend on the gospel and God's grace and don't let, do not, do not let Satan take advantage of any struggle you have <coughs> to destroy your marriage or your church. And because that is the greater thing that we keep on target with how God made us and how we love each other because that is a testimony to the world that we're God's people. How am I going to know the, the true church? Not by the sign, not by the acts of worship. It's not those things. The Bible says you'll know that they're my children by what? They love one another. So that testimony has always got to be held up higher than anything else we wrestle and struggle with in our relationships. So it goes back to creation. God loves us. He makes us different. We're equal, but we have different roles. We function different, and it's a, and it's a beautiful thing. And it's a good thing. So keep studying. Keep working. I will too. But the, uh, but the great thing is that God, Christ is the head of our church, right? Not a preacher. Not an elder. Christ is the head of our church. And so that relationship with him has to stay where it needs to be. And with that, we'll forge on and uh, we'll study and learn a whole lot more. All right? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm grateful for your word that you left us through the Spirit. We pray for wisdom and discernment as we study and grow. But always we study with gratefulness for your grace and mercy. We know, Father, we, we do not understand all the things of your word. But we love your word and we love your people. So, Father, with that on our hearts, always help us to keep studying and being open. Help us, Father, to be patient with each other in our studies. Help us, Father, to demonstrate a great, great love for each other that's a testimony to the world. Uh, Father, thank you for our, our marriages. Pray for strength there. So many in the world are being destroyed. Father, I pray for relationships within our church. I thank you, Father, for our women and how you've used them in mighty ways in our church family and in the kingdom to accomplish great things. Uh, Father, help us to learn, to honor, and treat each other with gentleness and respect in all that we do. I am so thankful, Father, for the folks in this class and for what they mean to me and for their love for you. Bless them as continue to grow and study. In Jesus' name we pray with the help of the Spirit. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.